Speaking of the privilege of prayer, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Prayer is such a wonderful tool that God has given believers that we can travel around the world through our prayer life. Here we are in Aurora, but as we pray, God hears our prayers and we can intercede for our missionaries in Turkey. We can intercede for our friends in the Philippines. We can intercede for Bibles that go out. We can be men and women of prayer and God will hear and honor our prayers. It's an amazing tool that God has given us. We have the privilege of talking with God and God has promised to answer us. Listen to this, jot it down. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 9 says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You As Christians, we know we should pray, and there's power in prayer, but sometimes we don't know how or what to pray. I'm sure you've been there. Or maybe you're wrestling over a decision and really want to know God's will on the matter, but aren't sure what it is. What do you do? Well, today on Abounding Grace, we'll see how the Holy Spirit is willing to step in at such times and offer some help. Pastor Ed Taylor opens Romans chapter 8 on this Wednesday, and we'll start with verse 22. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And we groan for a variety of reasons, don't we? I mean, we groan because our bodies are getting older and they're, they're hurting in places they didn't hurt before and, and they're not holding up and they're not as strong as they used to. We groan over sin and the effects of sin in people's lives. When we see people destroy their lives, we see people all messed up, it bums us out and we groan. I mean, we groan when sin touches us and we make mistakes when we're in the flesh. We groan over the struggles of those that are hurting today, those that are dying today those that have received a diagnosis that's very scary, we groan. We groan when we come to the limit of our ability to help someone because they no longer want our help and we just groan. We don't have words to really express what's on our heart. We groan over faults and failures. We groan when things don't go our way. We groan. That's what Paul says here. Creation groans because of the fall. You and I groan because of the fall. Really, as long as we are in this tent, this temporary body, we are going to groan. Groaning out, looking forward to being with Jesus Christ. He says in verse 23 that we groan because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Notice, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a taste of glory today. 
We have a taste of what it's going to be like to be delivered from this body of death. We have a taste of what it's going to be like when we no longer wrestle with sin. We have a taste. Every time we have a victory in life, that's a taste of what it's going to be like. Every time we overcome temptation, that's a taste of how good it's going to be to be delivered from this body of death. We have a taste. And because we have a taste, because we get a sense of what it's going to be like, because we have hope, we groan because it's not happening today. We groan. We go, oh, Lord. How we want to be with you. How we want to be delivered. We've tasted. We've tasted just a little bit that salvation experience, being born again, taking from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. It's the first fruits of the Spirit. We've tasted of how good it's going to be. It's good now. I mean, as great as it is now and as wonderful as it can be now, it's only a foretaste of what it's going to be like. And because of that, we groan. We groan. It's a taste that leaves us wanting more, the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, the people at Costco, they understand what they're doing, don't they? Costco. You go up and down the aisles, and what happens? There is sample after sample after sample table, isn't there? I mean, I'll take times just to take my kids to have lunch at Costco from the sample tables. I mean, they're there, and they say, take as much as you want. So what do I do? I grab a chair, I bring the kids over and say, cook us lunch, man. They're smart. Because they want you to take samples, don't they? They cook it up and the smell of the sausage goes throughout the whole store. And you know, you only went into Costco for a couple gallons of milk. You wanted to save 50 cents on milk. So you came in for the milk, but the only thing is the milk's not up front, is it? It's all the way in the back. And as you're walking down the aisles, you're like, well, I want some sausage. I'll take some chips. I'll take a little bit of cheesecake for dessert. Mm." Why do they do that? Why are they so open with samples? Why does every opening that possibly can be there in Costco fill with a table of samples? Well, they know that if you take a sample, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to really, 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 really like it, or you're going to really, 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 really not like it. They know that. They know if they can just get you to take one, that they can just taste it in. If you can just take, oh, go ahead and take a second one. You need a second opinion, go ahead and take. You want your kid, go ahead and give one to your kids. Because they know if your kids really like it, well, you're done, man. They're going to cry for it all the way out the door. And so you take that sample, and if you really, 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 really like it, what are you going to do? You're going to buy it. You're going to take it home. Now, you would have never, ever known that product existed if it wasn't for that sample. I mean, that's not why you were there. You weren't there for the package of 40 sausages. That's not why you came there. But because you tasted it, and because you were hungry, and because it smelled good, you took it. And you bought a couple packages just because you got the new freezer. You're going to fill the freezer up, you know, put it in there. They may not have it anymore. And if you really, really don't like it, that's okay. They don't, they're all right with that because you probably, you know, at least you tried it. And they know what they're doing. Their goal, their goal is that if you like their product, you'll like it and want more. And if you'll like and want more, then you'll buy more. And we have this taste, this taste of what it is to be in Jesus. Every victory, every temptation fought off, every Bible study, every sweet song, every opportunity to help somebody, it's a taste, it's a taste. And as you have that taste, it leaves you wanting more. I want more of you, Jesus. I want you to cover this area of my life, Jesus. I want you to take care of this in my life, Jesus. And it wants, it leaves you wanting more. I asked you to open in Numbers chapter 13 because we come to the children of Israel They are in such an exciting time in their life. It is a wonderful time for them. They have been delivered from bondage and slavery in Egypt. 
God has raised up a leader, Moses, and Moses has led the children of Israel out. They're free, no longer enslaved, no longer in bondage, no longer being beaten up, no longer being used. They are headed to the promised land. The promises of God are just up ahead. I mean, they're right there. They're so excited as God has worked miraculously in their life. Can you imagine the talk and the excitement of how they're anticipating what's up ahead? There are millions of people ready to go in. Millions of people ready to experience what God has for them. And we come to Numbers chapter 13 and we pick up in verse 23. It says, They came to the valley of Eschol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Now those are big grapes. You've got a cluster of grapes that requires two people to carry it on a pole. It's not the kind of grapes you're getting at King Supers, you know. Well, you just take them and they fit in a ham. I mean, this is lush. These, this is fruit that is lush and wonderful, so much so that it had to be carried on a pole between two men. I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff. This is great stuff. It says they brought some of the pomegranates and the figs. Verse 24, the place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They departed, came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Why would they do that? Why would they come back with these big clusters of grapes, the pomegranates and the figs? Why? To give them a taste of what it's going to be like. Hey, look, I know you've heard the promises of God. I know we repeated them to you, but now let me show you what it looks like. Let me give you tangible evidence. Let me show you what it's like to be in the promised land. Let me show you the promises of God. And that is the life that we live. We have the first fruits of the Spirit where we see the promises of God carried out day by day in our lives. Oh yes, many times our Christian life is up and down and there's difficulty and struggle and they all, God uses it to change us and to grow us and it's a foretaste, it's the first fruits of the Spirit. Now of course, those of you that have read through Numbers, you know that although that was supposed to be meant to be a foretaste, the spies also had other reports. Notice, it says in verse 27, and they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. I mean, that's the testimony. This is it. Check this out. It flows with milk and honey. God was right. It's the promised land. How wonderful. Let's go in, everybody. Let's go take it. Let's go enjoy it. But verse, well, verse 28, nevertheless. That's, I hate that word. I don't like that word. Nevertheless. Something's going good, 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 and then nevertheless. Oh, man, what now? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. You know, if it was a movie, the music changed right there. It was... However the music goes. But everything changed there. And, and they start to bum everybody out. Oh, the people are strong. Oh, really? Are they stronger than God? Oh, the cities are real fortified. Really? Are they more fortified than God? I mean, don't you see the fruit? I see the fruit, but the people. And there are people like that in our lives. We've got to be very careful where, it's where everything's going great, but they always see what's not going great. And we need to help those brothers and sisters to see more of what God is doing. Because a bad report will bum out the whole congregation. A bad report. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now back in Romans chapter 8, that first fruits of the Spirit causes us to groan. We groan because we've tasted just a little of what it's going to be like to live with Jesus, to be delivered. Paul would say, you can jot it down in Philippians chapter 3, that our citizenship is in heaven. You could say we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of earth. We are 
in this world, but not of this world, but we are also citizens of heaven right now as believers. We're citizens of heaven. And notice verse 24 now of Romans chapter 8. We were saved in this hope. Hope that the groanings will end, that the body will, we will be delivered from this body, that the creation will no longer groan. We're saved in this hope. But hope that is still seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. A characteristic that's so important for us Christians, to persevere. You can circle that word persevere right next to it, to hang in there. To not give up, to not quit. Perseverance. Hope develops perseverance. So that if difficult times come in our life, we don't quit. We don't throw in the towel. We don't take things in our own hands. We don't start making decisions in our own understanding, but we persevere. We're going to get through this. Because you can look back in your life, can't you? And you can see things that you've gotten through before. You can see that your perseverance in Jesus Christ has paid off many times before. And so in the situation you're in right now, won't God become, won't he come through for you now? He's come through for us so many other times. And this hope, it develops perseverance. Our hope as Christians is not some pie in the sky where I hope it happens, but the hope for the Christian is based on the promises of God. It's a solid and a steadfast hope. It's a confidence that God will do what he said he'll do. And we're saved in this hope. We eagerly wait. I love that. We eagerly wait. It speaks of this zealousness and this expectation. We really, 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 really wait for God to deliver us. We're eager. We're excited. Verse 26, likewise. So we have creation groaning. We have humanity groaning. And now likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. You realize as Christians that you're weak in certain areas. Anybody realize that? Anybody weak here? Few of you good? That's good. We're all weak in many different areas. We're weak in our Christian walk. We might be weak in our Bible study. We might be weak today in our emotions. We're weak. There's many weaknesses in our lives. And the good news, just right off the top, is the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. That's so cool. We're not left alone. The Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. But now, Paul says there's one weakness that we all share. Now, you, you can have a weakness over here that you don't have. You have one that they don't have. And, you, you know, we may not share all the weaknesses, but there's one that we all share. Notice, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we all have a weakness in prayer. And the weakness that we have in prayer is we don't always know what we're supposed to pray for. We don't always know how to pray. We don't always know what direction our prayer life should take. That's a weakness. Well, we're not always confident. What should we be praying about? How should we be praying? There is hope in our prayers and also help with our prayers by the indwelling power of God's Spirit. Do you know, you can jot these things down. You can look at them for yourself. But in John's Gospel, chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus had much to say about the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. He said in chapter 14, verse 16, that when he leaves, he will send a helper. He will send the Holy Spirit to help us. In some translations, it's translated as a comforter. The word there is parakletos, a helper, one to come alongside to help. We have the Spirit of God in our lives that helps us. Not only does he help us, but verse 26 of chapter 14 in John's Gospel, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us believers all things. He'll teach us. The Spirit is our teacher. Not only will he teach us, but he'll also bring to our remembrance the things that we've been taught. 
That's good for those of you that have bad memories. It's like, I don't remember anything. I know the verse sounds like this. I don't know the address. I'm just going to tell it to you. And the Holy Spirit helped you remember that. Things that you've been taught. Especially in a fellowship such as ours, where there's Bible study after Bible study, it's hard to absorb everything. But as you're eagerly receiving it, looking in the scriptures, jotting down the notes, the Holy Spirit will use them and bring them to your remembrance when you need them most. Also the Holy Spirit in chapter 15, verse 26 of John's Gospel, Jesus says that the Spirit will testify of me. And so we can see that any true move, any true work of the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus Christ. Any true move of the Holy Spirit will not draw attention to man, will not draw attention to a church, will not draw attention to a move, but will draw attention to Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit's ministry. In chapter 16, verse 8, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He convinces people of sin. And then in chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit believers will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity, who's sent alongside to help and empower us in our Christian life. He dwells with you. He dwells in you, believer. And Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, and the weakness that he helps us in is in our prayer life, because that's a weakness for us. It's a weakness in our prayer life because we don't always know what we should pray for. Now, in verse 26, you can circle the word helps there. And if you can find room in your margin, what that word means literally is to help someone carry a heavy burden. It's sort of like that Costco illustration, isn't it? You only went in for milk, but you came with six boxes full of stuff and you need help carrying it into the house. You're like, I can't carry all this stuff. And you call the kids out, come and get all this stuff because it's such a heavy burden. In the spiritual realm, you and I, we carry burdens on our shoulders, things that are going on, great hurts, great pains, great difficulties, great heavy decisions. We carry stuff in our, in our lives that we need. Well, flip over to Galatians chapter 6. Let me show you how Paul describes it. That word helps. The Holy Spirit helps us with our burdens. He helps us to ease our burdens. Look at Galatians chapter 6, because this is what it looks like with believers. So we have the Holy Spirit that helps us, but we're also in a fellowship family where we're able to help one another as well. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, we're given insight on responsibilities that God has given us in the body of Jesus Christ. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so our eyes are always open. How can I help? How can I come alongside to help? He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. The word burden there is a heavy burden. It's something that can't be bare and borne alone. It, you need help to carry it. So bear, help one another. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. There's a balance. Yes, in our lives, we're all to carry our own load. We're all to carry, we're not to place, overly place our burdens on other people. We're to carry our own load. We're to pull our own weight. But at the same time, there are times in our lives when we carry heavy burdens that God will then send spiritual men and women into your life to help you carry those burdens. And so not only do we have people within the body of Christ to help us, but back in Romans chapter 8, we have the Spirit of God that helps us to carry a burden, to help with the pain, to carry with and help and strengthen through the weight of it all because we groan on this earth. And we groan for a variety of reasons and a variety of things. 
And one weakness in our lives is prayer. Prayer is such a wonderful tool that God has given believers. That we can travel around the world through our prayer life. And here we are in Aurora, but as we pray, God hears our prayers and we can intercede for our missionaries in Turkey. We can intercede for our friends in the Philippines. We can intercede for Bibles that go out. We can be men and women of prayer and God will hear and honor our prayers. It's an amazing tool that God has given us. We have the privilege of talking with God and God has promised to answer us. Listen to this, jot it down. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 9 says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. That's a promise from God. In Psalm 91, verse 15, listen. Psalm 91, verse 15. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver and honor him. Prayer is powerful. But even though we're physically here in Aurora and our prayers go up to heaven, there are times in our prayer lives where we don't know how to pray. We don't know the will of God. And because we don't know the will of God, we pray Well, we pray according to what we think the will of God is, and it may or may not be right. We don't always know the will of God. And you say, okay, Ed, are you saying really that all of us in this room don't always know the will of God, or are you including yourself? Are you saying that you don't always know the will of God? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't always know the will of God. I don't always have clarity on it. And that might shock and surprise some of you. You go, hey, wait a minute, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know the will of God. Well, I'll tell you, when I don't know the will of God, I pray to know the will of God. I pray, I want to hear from heaven. But I don't always know. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. But before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Calvary Aurora. Do you want to be used by God? I hope your answer is yes. And if so, you'll want to get a copy of Pastor Chuck Smith's book called The Man God Uses. It's our featured resource here in the month of March. Pastor Chuck reveals five essential components of prayer, the danger of the lukewarm gospel, and the secret to the apostle's boldness in the man God uses. He also underscores 14 characteristics to be found in the people God uses throughout the scriptures. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work. You'll be helping people all across the nation to become a man or woman that God can use. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, some may be wondering in the light of COVID-19, is it a good idea to still go to church with mass gatherings being canceled? Would you address those concerns? You know, Larry, there's been a lot of changes that have had to be made uh, with regards to the coronavirus uh, and the attempt to stop it from spreading. And it's especially affected churches, and it's especially affected churches that would gather uh, adults and kids more than 250 And a lot of churches have had to move their large gatherings to an online setting. I mean, we've already been using technology, but now this has been an exclusive technology. Like here in Colorado, our governor uh, put out an order for gatherings over 250 to stop. 
And we made a decision to put all of our services online, all of them, not only online, but also on our radio station uh, that is able to broadcast all throughout our state. And, and I was just reminded in Acts that the early church had to change the way they worshiped too. It wasn't a virus as much as it was the persecution that was coming against them. Remember in Jerusalem, they were gathering together until persecution came, and then the Bible says they scattered. They had to change the way they worshiped. And here we are being put in a position to, to be a love for our neighbors to not gather so that we would not be in a position to make things worse in our community. To, to have it spread faster because we're all gathered together, but rather to cooperate with our community and look for different ways to, to worship together. So that's online, through the radio, and um, believe me, we are looking forward to coming back together again, for sure. And by the time this airs, we might have already been back together, and that's awesome. But I know it's difficult, and I know it's challenging, and I know a lot of changes have been had to be made, but God is in the midst of them all, and He'll keep us strong, He'll keep us encouraged, He'll keep us strengthened, and He'll keep us full of hope. And we're grateful for that opportunity to be filled with hope, filled with encouragement, filled with strength. Thanks for those words of wisdom and encouragement, Pastor Ed. Don't miss our next study in Romans. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.